want a bit of the quiet life. I want a bit of shelf indulgence. If there is reading, give me all of it. Join the show on the Microbrew Radio. Listen to Jim, Wendy, and Emily. Join in the conversation. I want to hear it. I want to read it. I want a bit of self-indulgence. I want to hear Excellent. Good evening, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Shelf Indulgence. I'm joined this evening by Emily Pallett, and tonight is a really exciting show for us because it's Emily's Desert Island Library. So we've set Emily the task of going off and choosing her top 10 books. Um, and it's going to be interesting to see what she chooses. It's not an easy task, is it, Emily, to pick your top 10 favourites? Oh, no. When, I, when, when we first suggested it, I thought, right, 10's a good amount. 10 will get you through quite a while, I think. There's a, there's a lot there to choose. And then when I was sitting, I think, trying to pick them, I was like, yeah, I was wrong. <laughs> it's not very easy. And then when you think about the fact that I was doing it, maybe I was thinking about it way too much, but I was thinking, if I was stuck on a desert island, how long am I going to be on the island for? How much entertainment am I going to need? <laughs> so I was probably thinking about it a bit too much, rather than just, here's some books I like. Well, we can't wait for you to share your okay, list with yes. us. So what are you going to kick us off with on your desert island? What is your first choice? My first choice is Harry Potter and the Half-Blood Prince. Um, oh, mainly because it's my favourite Harry Potter book. The my my main the biggest favourite is probably the first one purely because of its sentimental reasons for falling in love in love with Harry Potter. But story-wise, Half-Blood Prince is my favourite because I feel like there's lots of secrets and discoveries that I personally found the most intriguing. And I was thinking about with the size. It might keep me going for a while I'm on a desert island for a bit by myself. <laughs> so I was quite, I, I knew there'd be a Harry Potter in here somewhere. Um, I'm surprised by that choice. So um, so what is it that you find so intriguing? It, you know, is it character development? What is it about it that makes you love it so much? Um I think it, it's, the, it's the discoveries, really. I mean, obviously, the main bit doesn't really happen till the end. Um, obviously, which is discovering who the Half-Blood Prince is. I, I'm not sure about spoilers, but I don't know if you can spoil a book that's been out for a very long time. Um, that that was a, a big one for me. Um, I mean, it's been, it's been it has been a long time since I read it, so I can't remember it page for page. Um but I just found it the, one of the most entertaining. Obviously, it's at the school. It, they're not, like, going off and mm. searching for anything yet. Um, and I suppose, yeah, character development, because they start realising, like, people who they like and they're coming into their own a little bit more, aren't they? Because they're a bit older. They're getting more towards the end, um, towards fighting the, the, the baddies and, yeah, it's just always been one of my favourites, really. Mm. I think it, I think it opens up a lot of uh, a lot of doors that you've been wanting to open for such a long time, mm. but you haven't had the key. So, no, I'd agree with that. I mean, for me, one of the things I loved about that particular story was um, you sort of know a lot of the characters already. You think you know them quite well, but one of the things that that book shows is, for, and I think it does it for every character, not just the main ones involved in the plot line um, but I think it shows the hidden depths of every character so it shows that the goodies have got a bad side and it shows that the baddies have got a good side and mm. um, and I loved that about it it sort of made you um, I thought it was probably one of the most thought-provoking of of the novels in the series yeah yeah exactly that's a better way of what I just said but yeah <laughs> yeah I know I think it's right isn't it I mean you it's like any book you you take away from it what what it means to you really mm. um and I can understand why you've chosen that because I think it's a great story probably one of the strongest storylines of any of the books really I forget as well that this is the one where you get introduced to Horace isn't it? Horace Slughorn as well yes yeah what a great guy yeah, some great <laughs> characters in there, isn't there? Oh, uh, and yeah, the Unbreakable Vow. The thing is, it's been such a long time since I read them. Um, I should really go reread them again. You've got to be very careful because what me and Jim found when we did our Desert Island 
library is that you amass the little pile and you use it when you're talking on the show and then you find the urge that you've got to go back and read go them back and reread them that happens yeah. with every blooming show when we did like uh, midnight for charlie bone i was like i really need to read the rest of them <laughs> we can't fit them in i know well, that's the problem oh great what a brilliant book to start us off with mm-hmm. okay so what's your second choice then my second one is actually one that we're going to be reading in the a few weeks and that's Frankenstein by Mary Shelley um because obviously it's a classic um and I'm a big fan of classics um I'm a a fan of empowering female writers and uh, writers going against the grain love that Mm. Um, on top of that you've got a bit of a weird story I'm all happy for all all into a weird story <laughs> so again what was it about that storyline that drew you to it um originally the the feminist side of it I knew more about Mary Shelley before I ever read it um but then when you read it you just for me I discovered that the the the, the monster wasn't who you thought it was going to be and that wasn't mm. Frankenstein's monster. It wasn't the creature. It was actually Frankenstein. It was Victor Frankenstein for me, who was the monster. He was. I feel a bit felt feel a bit sorry for Frankenstein, and I always have. It's the same with the film film versions. I, I I have a little bit of a a kinship with him to some extent because he's judged because of how he looks, and people just think he's weird and he's different. So people are oh, they turn away from it. But I actually feel really sorry for him and think it's quite sad. Um, You've got a pattern forming here in terms of you seem to have an affinity with misunderstood characters. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, that's probably why myself, I've got a soft spot for Draco in, in uh, Harry Potter, to be fair. It's just misunderstood. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and obviously you've got the uh, the fact that the main, the big thing that made me want to read it in the first place is the fact that it was a female writer um, in a time when women shouldn't have been writing. Yeah. Yeah. And it's probably and one of the most genius things that's ever been written. No, you know, it, it, this, yep. the actual material, the topic of it, um, it was bad enough when women were going out and writing, you know, sort of dramas and love stories and stuff. Um, mm-hmm. But this was probably one of the first in the horror genre. Mm-hmm. Um, and and for a woman to produce this was um, was really quite remarkable, wasn't it? It's, it's the, the whole story of how it's written that I really love as well um because it was on a night when she was spending time with Lord Byron Percy Shelley and there was another chap but I can't remember his name it's really bad but he wrote the original vampire story way before Dracula and um she challenged them to write a scary story and that's how Frankenstein came about and um she wrote Frankenstein and this other chap wrote The Vampire. I can't remember what his name was. I'm looking at it. I can see it on my shelf. Um, but Lord Byron actually stole that story and published it under his own name, but he didn't write it. And it's all that for me as well that I find really interesting because obviously it's just the, the story with Mary Shelley and Percy Shelley and Byron in, in itself is a, is a mystery novel. Yeah, because yeah. they were a bizarre group of friends, I suppose, mm. and I love that about it as well. And it's, uh, I mean, it's it in at that time it was, as you say, it was a very volatile period um, in time in terms of literature and the way things were going and and ba- barriers were being broken all over the place, weren't they? Mm. Um, so she was smashing her own glass ceiling, but there were others doing the same thing. Um, and for me, the thing that w- this was about was um, if you read between the lines and you analyse the story, it was a real warning in terms of where science was going. So this mm-hmm. was right at the beginning where there were scientific discoveries being made almost on a weekly basis. And for me, this is a warning to scientists to say just because you can do something doesn't mean to say you should. Yeah. It absolutely challenges religion. It challenges life and death. Where does that, where's the line between life yeah. life and death? Can we play God? Obviously, it might not shock so much now because we're in a world where things are so different and so open. But back then, that would have been really shocking. Mm. Um, and I, 
I just love the fact that it was a woman who did it. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And, and you know, although you say things are different now, we still have a lot of those same arguments, don't we? So at the moment, one of the big things that, that people are discussing is the changes to the abortion law and what will, yeah. what will that bring. And people are still questioning, do we have the right to do these things? Do we have to, the yeah. right to make these decisions? So actually, even though it's an old novel, people should say it does have really contemporary themes, doesn't it? Yeah. Well, the things that, that I think a lot of what I like about classics so much is that even though times are different and times have changed, classics do still resonate to the yeah. to modern day because it, it just seems to be like we're going through the same issues. Mm. Even if we have come a little bit further on, we still go, we still question people like say people still question religion, people still question what we can do to yeah. the human body. So, yeah, it's Excellent. still relevant, isn't it? It is. Oh, that's going to be great. And you won't. You'll have to read it again because obviously we're doing that in a few I weeks know. around about Halloween time. I think it yes. is. So that's going to be brilliant. Great. That's wow. What a strong start, then, Emily. So, what's number three that you've chosen? Number three is Northern Lights by Philip Pullman, um, because it's just the pinnacle of a fantasy novel, isn't it? Yeah. Philip Pullman. Just, I love the things that he does with words. <laughs> it was um, my English teacher introduced me to um, Philip Pullman and the Northern Lights. Um, it was Celia Anderson. She's been on the show. Uh, we reviewed her book a while ago. Um, she gave it to me when I was in primary school, tried to read it, found it too much, because I, I must have only been about seven or eight. And she was like, don't worry about it. Give it a little bit more time. A couple of years later, tried it again. And I was like, what have I been missing? <laughs> just a cracker of a fantasy novel isn't it, mm. it the, only th the only thing I find with that one a bit like Harry Potter I suppose is that because you, you can only pick the one in the series which is a bit a bit awkward but yeah I love Northern Lights oh god it's a really so for our listeners um which where is it in the series is it the first of a series of three or is it the middle one yes first of a series of three yeah yeah and and do you just want to give us a thumbnail sketch because not everybody's going to want to not everybody's going to know um, Northern Lights. Shall I read the blurb? Yeah, that'd be great. When Lyra's friend Roger disappears, she, she and her demon, Pantalaemon, determined to find him. I don't know if I've said that right. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> the ensuing quest leads them, them to the bleak splendour of the north where armoured bears rule the ice and witch queens fly through the frozen skies and where a team of scientists, scientists is conducting experiments too horrible to be spoken about. Lyra overcomes these strange terrors only to find something yet more hilarious waiting for her, something with consequences which may ever reach beyond the Northern Lights. Absolutely brilliant. And so um, I, I, mean, uh, I think the Philip Pullman series, most people will know, from the television um, and the yeah. film adaptations. Um, have you seen the adaptations? I have, and I quite like them. To be fair, yeah. I think yeah. I think we mentioned it before in in a show. I'm not sure, um, but I I thought they were quite good. They're quite so, close yeah. to the book, aren't they? Yeah. They don't take as many liberties, maybe, as some other adaptations have. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it it's always going to be difficult, isn't it? Because they can never put everything in the show. Um, I think it was the characters for me that seemed mm. relatively correct or as close to. Um, and obviously the demons, little creatures and stuff like they were brilliant, loved all that. Mm. That's what that's what drew me to Northern Lights the, yeah. when reading it really was the because each person has a little demon and I love that. The, the, it's like a little familiar, I suppose. Yeah, the thing for me absolutely was the armoured bears. I mean the the picture that that conjured up in my head and i have to say i wasn't one bit disappointed when i saw the the film version of it i thought they did a really really good job of that and it's filled with that sort of adventure and excitement isn't it mm. really great story lovely okay well let's crack on then let's pick number four what did you this, choose for number this four? is really annoying because it's just making you want to read them all again <laughs> Um, the third, fourth one is The Seven Deaths of Evelyn Hardcastle by Stuart Turton. Um, right. You might like this one, actually, Wendy. I'm not sure if I've recommended this one before or not. Well, do you know, I think you might have because it's I on my I, red pile. So yeah, I've bought I it. I I had. But um, I haven't got, I haven't, I think I've started to read it, but I haven't finished it. Mm. 
Um, I, I don't know if you class it as a, it may be a crime, crime with fantasy kind of thing. Um, somebody dies of well, Evelyn, Evelyn Hardcastle obviously dies, but she dies in seven different ways. Um, and it's almost like someone's going back each time to try and solve the murder, if you know what I mean. But as they as they gain a little piece of information, but then they go back again, they still have that information. Um, but obviously, each time they go back, things are changing. So if they might have pursued it one way the first time, they might not necessarily be able to pursue it that way the second time because other people's actions have changed. Right, um, yeah. Really, really entertaining. Loved, mm. loved that book, yeah. So lots of twists and turns. Yes, definitely. I mean, I'm I'm not the biggest fan of crime. I'm a very fussy with it and I very rarely read it. So I'm not sure if you would class it as crime. I've got a bit like, it's a bit like Cluedo mixed with some yeah, kind I would of have said it's probably Huey more kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Mystery, yeah. That murder mystery, did you say? Yeah. 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 Really, really, really good one. Again, nice big one. So maybe it would take up some time on a desert island well you know we're heading towards the autumn and we always like um we always like bigger reads in the autumn because you're stuck in in the uh, dark nights aren't you so mm. um maybe i need to start to move it upwards towards the top of my reading pile it is good i think i think i was quite shocked by it when i first read it because to be not to be judgy but obviously to look at it it's a bit art deco-y isn't it yeah, that kind yeah. of style and stuff so when I read it I was I was quite shocked because it's not what I expected it to be is it set um, in the art deco period then really unique um sort I of can't recall I can't remember if I'm being honest it doesn't say so in the blurb um I'm trying to just see if it says on the first page I can't recall it being okay but again Although I remember main stories, the little snippets, I'm not very good at remembering stuff like that. <laughs> okay. But it right. doesn't say. Right. Lovely. Okay, so how about number five then? Um, I'll do number five. I don't actually have the book with me because it's uh, my mum's got it because it's on loan. But it's The Shadow of the Wind by Carlos Ruiz of Farm. Oh, right. Because it's have... my favourite, isn't it? It is. <laughs> Apart from Harry Potter, it's probably... The well, it is my ultimate favourite book um, ever in the world of ever. So that one had to go in. And again, you, do you want to give us a sort of bit of a thumbnail sketch in terms of what it is? Um, a young lad uh, runs a bookshop with his father um, and his father introduces him to a secret library, essentially. Um, and he gets to choose one book from the library for him to god essentially um so he picks this book from the library um falls in love with the book but can't find anything out about the author it's like the author doesn't exist nobody knows about the author if they do they don't admit to know about the author um every he goes to find out that people have been trying to find out who he is they've been searching for him and that alone for me drew me in straight away because one you've got a secret library i mean who would who wouldn't want to go to a secret library that's in like a labyrinth crypt thing and then obviously the second thing was the fact that it's he picked a book and mysteriously the you can't find the author and nobody knows who the author is mm. why would you not want to read that <laughs> And, and one of the big bits of the story is that he has to protect the book because there are people out there who are right, out to eradicate the book, aren't mm -hmm. they? Yeah. So, yeah, again... There's something really was... precious about them, him having to save this book um, <laughs> because it's like you read so many books about people saving people, people saving each other, but to save a book, there's something quite significant about that for me. Yeah. Um in a time when everything is so digital, for me, it's that screams save history, and I mm. love that about it. That's just it. Just made me fall in love with it. I suppose you class it as a coming of age kind of novel as well. So it's about him growing up with his dad and his friends, girlfriends, that kind of thing, trying to mm. navigate through teenage angst. 
and and the language used in it's it's very beautifully written isn't mm -hmm. it so the language in it is very evocative and it definitely conjures up pictures of the characters and pictures of the situation yeah very yeah. rich writing i was i always think that the fun is right it just it's a master of words i said to jim once because we're into a lot of like witchy pagan stuff i suppose and i said to him like do you think that when people write they could they put like a part of themselves in this book because i when i first read it i felt i felt like i could feel zafon's soul in this book like he put all of himself into this book mm. um i felt it was really powerful for me Ooh. excellent oh well if people don't want to go away and read it after that description um that's brilliant emily okay so what's your next one then what's number c this one is wuthering heights by emily bronte um obviously another classic another female writer there's a bit of a theme um i grew up with wuthering heights because my mum is probably the biggest bronte fan you'll ever meet in your life she's got a whole bookcase and it's just of different editions and any book, anything, any book that's to do with the Brontes, it'll be on that shelf. <laughs> um, so it's partly my mum in there, and I've got uh, this one actually bought from the Bronte Parsonage Museum, and it's, I've got a little stick. Oh, lovely! Because normally they stamp the book when you bought one from the Parsonage, they stamp it, but this one's got like special pages, so it came with a little ticket. Um, it's just a classic, isn't it? It's. I've said to you before that I don't read fluff and I don't read romance. That could be classed as the first romance novel, but it's not romance as in it's it's not soppy, it's not fluffy. It's uh, it's devastating, a devastating wrote, uh, love story, and I love that about it. Um, that's yeah. all that I'm all up for that. It's very dark it's like, and intense, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. I just love it. And of course, there is a sort of supernatural element to it as yeah. well which intrigues you mostly yeah absolutely mm. it's mm. like when um when she when kathy dies and heathcliff's like do not leave me haunt me always it just gives you shivers because it's just it's like she's his oxygen oxygen and he can't live without that and it's beautiful writing that is that, that mm. bit's probably my favorite bit of the book actually do you have you have you read any other Bronte or is this the only one or no I've I've read Jane Eyre um I've read a little bit of some of the poetry but that's probably it with the novels is Wuthering Heights and Jane Eyre I've never read anything of Anne Bronte which my mum would kill me because she says she's the uh, forgotten Bronte mm. <laughs> but yeah just Wuthering Heights and Jane Eyre really mm. and out of the two what what edges Wuthering Heights for you rather than Jane Eyre Probably because it's darker. <laughs> um, I mean, obviously, the mad woman in Jane Eyre is, was very good. <laughs> but, yeah, I think it's just because, yeah, maybe because it's darker. But the sort of thing about Emily Bronte for me, because there's a lot about, about her, obviously, because she's probably the most well-known, if you like. Yeah. Um, she was quite, not lonely, that's the wrong word, but she was quite happy to be alone on the moors and walking the moors and writing on the moors. And I think there's something about that as well, that I feel that in Wuthering Heights because that's what Heathcliff is like. Yeah. Um, I don't actually like Cathy though. I can't stand Cathy. She really bugs me because mm. she's just, she just teases him throughout the whole thing, doesn't she? Cow. She does, yeah. <laughs> But it is, yeah, it is. It's an incredibly intense. And, and mm -hmm. I think as a love story, it is very dependent on when you read it. I think if, if you read this at, at exactly the right time in your adolescence, I think that you um, really start to appreciate the pain of love um, because that's what this is about, isn't yeah. it? Yeah, yeah. Excellent. Wow, some stonking choices there. I know that. Um, they're a bit heavy <laughs> um, let's have a look at number seven then what have you number seven was a recent read uh, by the recent i say this year and i don't know if we ever did re review it oh no i think we did it was midnight in other oh yeah we got it to we, do but we never actually got round to um oh, we've still not done it. i can't remember whether we did or not 
Oh, we need to see how this Christmas. It's just gorgeous. It's just full of magic and mystery and oh, beautiful. So do you want to give us again a bit of a synopsis? What's the story? Yeah, so um, a young woman, she is wants to be a ballerina, um, but she's not allowed to be. She has to marry. She has to do what the women did, and that's marry, make money. Um, but she she doesn't want to be. She wants to be a dancer, so she tries to not run away, but she's angry, and she has one last dance. So her parents said you can do it one more time. Um, and there's a mysterious man who has come, he's a tour maker who's come to the town and he's just designed the set for this dance. And she goes on to look at the set before the dance actually happens. And she mysteriously enters another world from this stage set to, another, to this other world, which is Everwood. Um, and she gets captured and she has to, like free herself and then there's a couple of other ladies who are captured as well because they each have a gift and this king almost captures them because he wants their gift he wants to bask in their gifts that they can that entertainment or that kind of seduction or that kind of thing um it's i don't know it's it's a really lovely piece of fantasy like fantasy i think but also something that a lot of women could relate to is but like obviously back in the years ago is the fact that they like repressed women being repressed and stuff um it's just really gorgeous so is there there's a, a lots of people who have read that book draw parallels with a very old story don't they um, yes. So the people draw parallels with the nutcracker the nutcracker yeah see uh, i don't actually know the story of the nutcracker Oh right! Oh, it would not a great to go away and read the Nutcracker. There's not actually a great deal I know about it. All I know is that it was a ballet, um, yeah. which obviously links the ballet thing. But I don't know a lot about it. So for me, this was quite original. If mm. you know what I mean, because I don't mm. know. So you were coming for the first time, and actually, a really important point because lots of people will come at it, will 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 learn the Nutcracker story from this without any knowledge of of the yeah. Nutcracker. So it won't even have been on their radar. Yeah. Maybe I should have. Fascinating. And, and you said something about we ought to do this at Christmas. Why do you think it's got a real Christmassy feel about it? Well, the, the obvious is because it's a, it's set in a uh, a winter a winter scene. Um, there's a lot of coldness to it because obviously there's there's people that she's trying to flee from. Um, and of, of, of mainly the scenes, really, because the way that the writer describes the cold and the snow and all that, it, it's a proper winter warmer, I think. Yes, yeah. So, yeah, when do you read? Excellent. Oh, well, perhaps we do need to have a look at it then um, as one of our winter reads. Lovely. Mm -hmm. OK, so how about number eight then? Number eight is a bit of a cheat because it's kind of more than one book, but I technically have the one book and it's The Complete Tales of Edgar Allan Poe, which is another of my favourites. Um, again, a cheat because there's more than one book in it. <laughs> but, you know, we did say you, your favourite books. So as long as it's between two covers, it, you can absolutely... Exactly. It definitely it. is. Look at the size of it. That'll keep you going on a beach <laughs> when you're stranded somewhere. <laughs> And are you, I mean, anybody that's listened to the show knows that you're a bit of a Poe fan, aren't you? I mean, you... Um... Oh, yeah, yeah. So, again, well, what is it about... Oh, I hope you're there. <laughs> so, what is it about his writing that draws you? A bit like Zafon, really. He, he definitely put his heart and his soul into his literature. And, I mean, I, I, I know a lot about his, his life, so that that influences the reading now I would I would suppose whereas before it probably didn't but he was a lost man he was a probably I would say depressed now possibly even schizophrenic if that was even a like if that was a thing back then very lonely I think he had a lot in his head and probably didn't know what to do with it and that's what he did with it what he did do with it was write it um 
I suppose you could say, yeah, it's because it's dark, Emily likes dark stuff, but a lot of it, it's a bit like Poe with it, like Emily Bronte. There's something there that's, like I said, it's like a part of their soul. Um, they don't mean to be dark. They're not doing it to write, oh, I want to be a goth or anything like that rubbish. It's just, it's who they are. And it's how they write. It's I mean, very I mean, passionate. Think, yeah, yeah. How they think and how they experience the world. Yeah. And there are dark personalities. And, and it's, I think you're right. I think, you know, nowadays he would carry probably a couple of labels and certainly mm. manic depressive would be one of those. Um, and his outlet was the the writing that he was involved yeah. with. I mean, it's questionable if he wasn't able to write, whether he would have survived as long as he did, really. Yeah. I mean, his life is a whole mystery because even now nobody knows how he died. Nobody knows why or how he died. That was a mystery in itself. It's like his life is one of his novels. Mm. Um, it's just really intense i think again with wuthering heights i think if you're not really into intense quite heavy stuff then it's definitely not for you <laughs> mm. Mm. um but a bit like the character of frankenstein's monster i feel i feel bad feel for him i can feel it in his writing maybe that's a kinship maybe it's understanding to some extent um it's just, I feel like he was just a bit of a lost soul. Yeah, yeah. And it makes me a bit sad. Like, I know it's it's a man who who was 200 years ago. I know I would never meet, never know each other. But I, it, it, I don't know. I want to give him a hug. Well, you definitely get the sense that through his writing, he battled demons all the time, mm. didn't he? His own demons yeah. all the time. Um, and, and found the outlet in his writing. So if you yeah. were going to choose out of that book, your favourite post story, what would it be, do you think, Emily? Um, the Telltale Heart. Mm. Um, it's mad. Like, the, the character is mad. Like, he can hear a heart beating that he thinks is under the floor. And even... Or he, he, put, he buries this person under these floors and he can hear his heart beating. And even when I read, I still don't know. Did he actually kill this person? Did he actually put like put this person under the under the stairs or, or under the floor? Sorry, can he? Did he actually do that, or is he just so crackers that he just thinks he's done it? And he, this, there's this heart that's just beating and teasing him and thinking he's thinking I'm going to get caught. I'm, I'm not, they're going to know that I've done this. Mm. It's just it's erratic. It's very very very. I don't know what the word is. Crackers. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I think one of the things that strikes me about Poe's writing is the intensity of it. Yeah. So if you look at most modern novels, you are taken on a journey through a novel and there'll be lots of different threads that pull together um, and you get to the end and you get to some conclusion. But actually, if you look at Poe's work, the focus is on a, usually on a single incident. Mm. It's on a single yeah. incident which is pulled apart from a purely from a mental point of view. Yeah. So the intensity and what he packs into that is actually quite um, it, intense. Doesn't even begin to cover it, does it? No, no. Especially when you take into consideration how short they are as well. They're yeah. not long stories. But there's a lot in them in regard to like the intensity in such so few words. Mm. And mm. there's something about that, I think, as well, because maybe it would be less intense if it was like a whole novel because it would be spread out more. Whereas this is very much right here, it is straight away, mm. we're going to get to the point kind of thing. Um, so that I think that might, might have a lot to do with it. And in a way, that brevity is the thing that causes the sort of shock factor, isn't it? Mm. Um, because there is no dressing it up. You, you're sort of straight in and he, he hits you full on straight away. Yeah. So there's no sort of gentle leading. No. You, you're there and you're looking at, at the, the subject matter mm -hmm. um, almost in a way where you can't. It's a bit like looking at a car crash, I think. You don't really want to look, but you can't look away. Yeah. It's a bit like that where you you feel almost compelled to, to read the rest of the story. Yeah. I think that's why, as well, why a lot of classics are still considered so dark because 
people can write stuff nowadays when they're trying to be something. Whereas I think with Poe's writing, he's not trying to be anything. He just it is what it is. Yeah. He is he is just himself, and you can, yeah. I think I think you can feel that in the writing. He's not trying to be anything. Mm. Um, I suppose you could say that about a lot of classic writers because they were like the the originals, weren't they? They started it all off. Mm. So mm. excellent, mm-hmm. excellent. Wow. Well, you've you've sort of ripped our arm off and beaten us to death with the soggy ends so far. So we've got oh, a few... Yeah. Uh, None of it's very light, is it? We've got that in there. Um, let's have a look at number nine. What What's the next one? It's not going to get any lighter. Um, oh, right. We've okay. talked about this one before, and that's The Shape of Darkness by Laura Purcell. Oh, yeah. Um, which I did, I think we were, I don't know if we reviewed it or if I suggested it. I think we reviewed it, oh, didn't we? We reviewed one of, wasn't it her, another one of her books that we reviewed and you mentioned this one as well i don't think we've done another one we did um the doll factory which was with, which was elizabeth mcneil yeah um i i've definitely talked about it i think i might have when we were doing the night circus as well yeah mm. possibly yeah it's set in um victorian bath um, and there's a lady who is essentially, uh, she's a, um, she owns a business where they make um, silhouette um, pictures of people. Obviously, hence the, the front. Um, but she's struggling to keep a business afloat because photography is coming in. So people don't want these cuttings anymore. Um, there's a lot more to it than just that, but she... It's a bit supernatural. There's a sister who's passed away. There's um, a chap in it. Um, no, sorry, uh, two uh, two young girls in it who are they claim to see spirits. Um, so they link because of her sister who has died, and she goes to talk to this little girl who claims that she can see spirits. It's there's a lot in it, but it's all. I don't know, it's just such... I keep saying that it's really beautiful writing. I've said that about a lot of books tonight. <laughs> um, I'm, I've said before, I'm probably going to repeat myself a lot, but I'm a content sucker. Um, mm. If there's not a lot of content in it, if there's a lot of waffle about life, I'm a, I struggle with that a little bit. There's a lot of content in this, mm. um, which draws me in. So there's a lot content, of stuff that happens. Do, does content mean description of the situation, description of the place? Is that what you mean by content? Um, yeah, a bit, and and just general events as well. Like some things have got to happen for mm. me to keep me intrigued. Um, I've read a lot of books that claim to be Victorian gothics, and the whole things have been like questioning religion through the whole entire book, and that doesn't do it for me. That's not enough. Mm. I want something to happen. I want you have to. I want you to see something, like obviously in your head. I want some. I need something. To, I need to be fed some, mm. something of interest. Um, and this yeah, so there's a lot, lot of... of Victorian themes, doesn't it? Because the Victorians are obsessed with death. They were obsessed with the spirit world and spirituality. So it mm-hmm. does sort of, um, it does sort of tap into that. Um, I was watching a TV series which I can't remember the name of now, um, but it, it revolves around, you were saying photo- uh, um, f- photography was just coming in at this time. And there's a TV series on at the moment, which is on stream TV, which is about a photographer who photographs dead people. And it's set in that time. Oh, Victorian. what's that called, Wendy? Um, Still Dead, I think it's called. Oh, Still Dead. what's that on? Uh, I think it's Netflix. Oh, and it is a, I can't believe you've not come across it. It no. is a fascinating series um, because it deals with the fact that the, the, you know, the Victorians were obsessed with death and whether people came to life and what they used to do was when somebody had died, they used to pose them in different poses and the story is about um one of the photographers that did that for a living i'll have to send you the link emily is it dead still i think it's dead still that's it dead still i 
think I found it, but it says it was from 2020. I don't know if that's yeah, right. Yeah, that one. would be right. Yeah, that would be right. Oh. It's, yeah, it's a really, really good series. Yeah, that's proper up my street. I'm going to have to watch that. <laughs> Super duper. Oh, well, you see, so, you've given us your 10 favourites and we've given you a recommendation to I go know, off yeah. watch the a series. Show. Excellent. I love this. The thing I love about this one as well is the fact that she keeps cutting pictures for people and then they die afterwards and she can't understand why they're dying and she's thinking is it me is it my sister so that's where you get drawn in or that's where the story where she meets pearl the uh so-called whether she is or isn't you figure that out um medium because she's trying to figure out what's going on and whether she's killing people but not knowing she's killing them wow oh that sounds very good excellent um, right, so we're almost at the end. Um, so what is the book that you've chosen as the last in your recommended? You knew it was going to happen, didn't you? It's Dracula. Yeah. <laughs> you knew it was going to come in there somewhere. They're all very heavy, aren't they? Oh, well. Another classic. Like, I think it's, like I've already said, it's different now because... It's hard to be original now. It's hard to do something that hasn't been done before. Mm -hmm. A lot of things draw from something that's already been done before. This was never done before. Like, mm -hmm. this stuff was never done. Like, So I just think how genius they were to think of these things. Because, yeah, obviously these myths of vampires have been around for years, but where did they find it out? Because we, we've got the internet, we've got all the... How did they know about all that? But storytelling is a very, it's a very ancient skill, isn't it? And yeah. people have always told stories, folklore yeah. and all of that. And so if you think about the time when these were written, they used to have, it was the Salon Society, where groups of, of people with common interests, so artists or writers or poets, would come together over dinner and just discuss stuff. Um, and they, I've, I've always... If, if if I was given, a, um, you know, a magic pill and I could go back in time and visit a single place just for a single evening, it would have to be one of those salons because the conversation would have been scintillating. Yeah. Mm. And they would have told those stories and shared those fables and that would have been the start of that burst of creativity. The, yeah, the, the, little, the little drop. Yeah, grows into this. Yeah, just, just massive writing, isn't it? But there's something oh. particularly unusual, isn't there, about Dracula, in terms of the way it's written? Yes, because it's like a diary. Yeah, which is ironic because I don't like books that are written like that. I really don't like them. Whenever if I see one in a blurb that is like a diary diary setting, I'm just like, nope, not for me. Yeah, the one what the one book that I would take with me to a desert island is like that. Mm. <laughs> I don't know. I think I suppose it makes it a bit more personal, doesn't it? Because diaries are a personal thing, and if you were to write yours, it would have your deepest, darkest—well, not darkest, but your deepest secrets, your deepest thoughts, thoughts that you wouldn't share with anybody else because you probably think you'd be stupid, stupid to share them with. And there's something personal about that with this novel I yeah suppose. I, I know exactly what you mean and I think all of the great writers have used that as a device I mean one of the I mean good grief one of the the probably best known Agatha Christie uh murder mystery uses exactly that the mm. the killer and she was the first to use it in a murder mystery novel but the killer keeps a diary and so mm. you are taken through a series of events and through the murders and everything that happens from the eyes of the killer um yeah. so there is something that is already you know, unusual isn't it yeah absolutely so this idea about the diary giving you an insight into somebody's deepest darkest secrets um mm. is one that has been used but but i would suggest probably um that was the the start of it in terms of yeah. um you know using it as a writing device mm fascinating so so do you think 
because you were dealing with a mythical creature, you were dealing with vampires in, in Dracula, um, it would have been quite shocking in the day in terms of what he did and how he went about doing it, would have been quite shocking in the day. Um, was there a little bit of that sort of shock factor that drew you? How old were you when you first came across it? Um, probably about the same time of age that I started liking the likes of Frankenstein and Edgar Allan Poe, to be fair, because, because I'm a really big horror fan as well. A lot of things are very interlinked in that kind of community. So I'm a big uh, Tim Burton fan, but he's hugely into Edgar Allan Poe because he's done um, some uh, short film based on Edgar Allan Poe, who is also a big fan of uh, Vincent Price, obviously, which is one of the biggest uh, horror actors. And then, but Vincent Price is also a fan of Edgar Allan Poe. So it, it all interlinks, if you know what mm. I mean. So I found out a lot about this stuff through the other things that I like because they're mm. all they all creep in mm. in a lot of places um I'm not sure when exactly when I read it um it was I, it was before Frankenstein it was before I knew Edgar Allan Poe um but I think when you when you search for this kind of thing these are the things that come up aren't they so yes, I probably found the others from Dracula yeah. um most people know Dracula for uh, the from the films, don't they? That's they that would be my first encounter of it. It would be Christopher Lee's Dracula, which my dad told me about because he it was his generation. Um, and then doing some digging and finding the Bella Lugosi Universal Monsters version, and then being like, well, actually, I should really read the story rather than just watch the films. So just digging, really digging into things that I really love. Mm. Which is so, so what's your view of those? those sort of hammer horror films because there's lots of there's two very definite schools about those aren't there they're, so they've taken stories like Frankenstein and Dracula and they turn them into films and some people think that they're dreadful and they're cheesy and whatever and yet there is a big school of thought that says they're absolute cinema classics yeah um, so where do you sit with that Emily? I, I do absolutely think they're cinema classics because mm. I feel it's a bit like I suppose it's a bit like classic literature I keep saying it but People are saying they're cheesy because they weren't around when they first watched them. Yeah. People are saying they're cheesy because of what we have now. Yeah. It's hard to shock now because it's kind of already been done. Yeah. Um, people aren't shocked anymore because the barrier for what is okay in film has gone much further. Mm. Um, personally, I'm more of a Universal Monster fan than I am a Hammer Horror fan. Um, mainly because they were a lot more gothic horror rather yes. than yeah. um, like gruesome, I suppose, because the Hammer horror films were some of the first films to use real blood or, or use blood in them. Mm. And that was a big shock factor because yes. they didn't use, there was no blood in the Universal Monster films, no blood whatsoever. Right. So I think that was a, a, a new thing for that made them stand out, to be mm. honest. And obviously the colour. Yes. was it being introduced yeah. so that was a new thing uh, but I definitely don't think they're cheesy no I like to appreciate them for what they were back then I try and put myself into that situation if if I was watching them in the 60s what would I think then mm. that's how and that's how I try and read if you know what I mean if I read a classic I try and put myself into that situation because yeah. the times are different so the times will influence what you're reading and what you're watching yes. yeah that's very true yeah definitely not cheesy that that's just swearing excellent <laughs> excellent so now's the big question if oh you God. could only take one of one. your which one would it be and why i don't know if i could answer that wendy <laughs> um i'd probably take poe with me i'd probably take poe with me to the grave because there's something about him. It's it's almost like if there was one person that I would have been very similar to in the, in in the world, it would have been him. Though I know it's really strange because you don't know them. You've never known them. They long gone. But there's a kinship there for me. Yeah, with, there's a real empathy like, in terms of yeah, learning, isn't there? Yeah, definitely. Like the way he thinks, um, his life. I just think it's really. I think. A lot of people just saw a, saw a lunatic and they didn't give him a chance. Mm. And I think that's why I, I love the writing so much. Yeah. And let's be honest, 
history's full of people like that, isn't there? You know, if you look Van Gogh, at like Van, Van Gogh, Gogh's a strong yeah. one. Like, and he's another one. Right? Have you ever seen that Doctor Who episode um, where they go back to meet Van Gogh? No. <sighs> Wendy, it's honestly, it's the saddest thing. I've probably one of the saddest things I've ever watched. Mm. And there's a, a chap in it who he's the um, he's a curator in a gallery. And he's practically crying, telling people how beautiful Van Gogh's painting is. And because he it's like he feels his soul. But doc, the doctor's actually taken Van Gogh to the uh, museum so he can hear him. And you can see him nearly bawling because he thinks, oh, nobody's going to like my work in 100 years time. And it's just like, mm. oh, it's just so sad. You should yeah. watch that episode. And I feel like that with Edgar Allan Poe. Yeah. It's just so sad. I don't know why there's never been an Edgar Allan Poe episode of Doctor Who, but. Well, do you know what you could always do is write in a suggestion to the uh, to the screenwriter. Well, ironically, I did think to myself they should do a Charles Dickens one, and then a few years later, bam, they did a Charles Dickens, did a Charles one. Dickens okay. one. I saw that one. Yeah, I saw yeah. that. Brilliant. Well, Emily, what a great list. Thank you so much for sharing that. I know it wasn't an easy thing to come up with ten. No. So um, even so now, well I'm still like. Hmm. <laughs> but yeah, that's been really, really great. And what I'd do is, um, before we close the show tonight, I'd just say to people, if you've got a top 10 that you would love to share as a listener to the show, we would love to have you on the show and interview you about your top 10 Desert Island Library. Um, Because the thing that I love about doing these shows is the diversity. So everybody's list that we've had so far has been completely and utterly different. It's really great to see the diversity of what people um, just love and what they treasure in their books. So thanks for sharing that tonight, Emily. Happy reading, everybody, and we'll see you next week. Good night. This show is part of Microbrew Radio. Burton-on-Trent's community radio station. You can hear this and plenty of other shows over on microbrewradio.com. Find our app on the iOS or Android stores, or just say, Alexa, play Microbrew Radio. And if you like what you hear, please let us know on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok. Thanks. <laughs>